Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What would be a good percentage to use, um, you know, so that way I can just keep the same number going in there all the time. Yeah. I, you know, I don't really like percentages too much. I like actual numbers because I could say like, I could say like 10%, 15%, but it really just depends on your situation. So I always try to look at like discretionary income. So like how much money is left over at the end of the month. So that's the first, like, first we got to see like how much money is left over at the end of the month. Right. So it's like one or two things is happening either. And this is just like broad range statement. Either you have money left over at the end of the month or you don't, or you're running in a, in a deficit. So if you, if you have money left over, you got to see how much money you have left over. So if it's like, okay, I have a thousand dollars left over after all my bills are paid after, you know, I have some fun every single month. I have at least a thousand dollars left over. Right. So just using that, that number, um, I personally would probably do somewhere along the lines of like putting 30% of that money into like savings until you have, you know, six to 12 months of savings. Um, cause that's important. And then I probably would look to invest, um, 30%. So now that's like 60% of the money right there. And then maybe, you know, 20% would go to, you know, a kid's account, 20 to 15% or go to the kid's account. And then the left, the rest is just kind of left for like miscellaneous. So that's what I would kind of go by more so than like, you know, just a percent of like your total income, because I could say 10% of your income, but if that might be too much. So it's really more of a percentage of your discretionary um, income and the discretionary income, I would say probably like 20%, 20 to 15% of discretionary income that you can afford to, you know, put away. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. That helped me out a lot. No problem, brother.
Uh, yeah, have a good one. All right, Tyron, we're coming to you. Unmute yourself, please. Uh, hello? I'm good. And you, Rashad? I'm good. I'm good. Hi, Magna. Um, I have a question. Um, what are the disadvantages of an S-Corp? I kind of think I know a little bit about the advantages in comparison to an LLC, but what are the disadvantages of an S-Corp? It's, it's more structured. Um, I think Ms. Business had actually taught a class about this, but you have to pay yourself a salary. So especially like if you're not making, you know, that much money or if the business is just starting out, it could be kind of pressure on you to, you know, have payroll. So that's something that, you know, definitely could take into consideration. Like I forgot the number that she said, but I think it's like a hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Like you should be making like a hundred thousand dollars in your business before you go to S Corp route. Um, because yeah, it's definitely it's it's definitely a lot more structured, but the the off the top of my head, I would I would think that that would be something that, you know, you just definitely have to consider because you definitely have to put yourself on payroll. Um, and, you know, whereas like a regular LLC, you could just, you know, not pay yourself a month, two months, whatever, if, if, if not no money's coming in or you just want to just, you know, you're real thin that month. So that's something to take into consideration, especially mo- a lot of businesses, especially when they first start, cash flow is very up and down. So, you know, if your cash flow is up and down, you want to make sure you get into a point where you have some level of consistent cash flow first. Okay. Uh, th- <laughs> thanks very much. Uh, that answered the question. Thanks. All right. No thank you. All right. Yod, we're coming to you. Unmute yourself, please. All right. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, my question is, um, I have two questions. My first question is, um, um, let's say like example, like I have um, a mortgage that I was trying to pay early between like probably like between seven to 10 years. And also let's say if I have some money that's coming in, let's say like if I have like probably between like two to 5,000, so like should I put it in the market? Even I do have automatic um, payment, that's when that, that, that contribution that I make every month for my investment on, on the stock market and crypto and stuff like that. So should I keep um, the best things for me to do? Should I like put that money in the stock market or should I put it toward my mortgage? Even like in the future, I want to like to invest more in, um, in, um, in real estate. So what, what, what would be your, um, your what would you suggest? I mean, I think you could do both. I don't think I don't think it has to be a one or the other situation. You know, you want to see what what's most what's most important is paying off your house more important, or do you think you can get a better return in the stock market? And especially if you got a low interest rate, it might be more advantageous to to put the money into the market because you know your opportunity cost is probably greater investing in the stock market. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do both. So you know, you could uh, maybe if instead of if you was gonna put two thousand dollars a month into paying off, into your mortgage to pay it off, you know, a lot quicker, maybe you put. Five hundred dollars a month, right? And, you know that's still going to add up over the course of the year, and um, you know can still knock off years of of um, paying off your mortgage. So I would I would say you know see what's most important to you, but you can definitely do both, especially with that with that amount of money. It's not like it's you know a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand. You can definitely you know allocate money to, to to both of them. But the opportunity cost would probably be better investing in the stock market, but. I also understand, you know, if you don't want to have the mortgage forever and you want to pay off the property sooner. So, you know, maybe maybe you just do some calculations and see how that will work out if you if you did it for just a little bit less money than you would have done originally. Um, my other question is um what what is the difference between like QQQ and QQQM? So you broke up a little bit. What did you say? Um, what's the difference between like QQQ and QQQM? Um, I think QQQM, Troy, I know the Q the T. But yeah, let me make sure I get the right information on that. I think it's a mini QQQ, but I would I would like to know if there's a difference like from um from the percentage of return or the amount of stacks that that um 
that they invest in was that one is around like three something and then the QQM is around like one something. 144. Yeah, let me let me look. Let me look. I have Troy doing research on it. Get back to you on that. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. And also um for for um IRA, rough IRA for kids. So like do they have to be a certain age for to start a rough IRA for kids? Yeah, yeah, they have to be well, yes and no. They have to if you're doing it um if you're not self-employed, then they have to be of working age. Like they have to have a job. It, the working age depends on what state you live in, but as as long as they have working papers and they have a job and they actually have to be working, that's another thing. So um, as soon as they're able to work, you can do it. But if you're self-employed, it's a little different because you can actually hire your child before they legally have like working papers, as long as they're actually working and and they can actually do a job. So obviously, like you can't hire a two-year-old, like not, but like if you have like somebody that's like ten or eleven years old and they're actually doing, you just have to be able to justify in case you ever get audited. Um, but you have more flexibility and you can hire younger um, if you're self-employed. But if the child is working a, a, just a regular job, whenever if they could work a job, then they could you could put money into the IRA. So basically, you cannot do it in a custodial account. For the IRA? Yeah, the Roth IRA. Um, yeah, no, you, it's, it's a custodial account. It's just a, it's a Roth IRA. Oh, so okay. You still, you, you still, you, you still like the, the child is still a minor. The child's still a minor. So it's not like, you know, you got to set it up for them and you put the money in. Um, but, you know, you can have a custodial account where it's just in the market and it, it, there's no retirement account attached to it or it's the retirement account. But it's still it's still a custodial account. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, So. Thank you for um, coming on the call, even though you're not feeling well. That's very nice of you. And congratulations with the Steve Harvey interview. It was really, really well done. It was great. Um, so you guys must feel so proud of yourselves right now. So thanks a lot for that as well. Um, my question is about my TDA. I am a teacher in New York City, and um, I have about 10 more years left till I retire. So right now I have... Um, they let you split up your TDA, your tax deferred annuity into diversified and fixed. So I believe I've always had it um, like 80-20, but I just realized that the diversified has options and I didn't know that. So there's like a bunch of different options. Um, and I just wanted to know like how, like what's the best way to like pick um, between the, the different funds? Because um, they have like, like three or four. Um, there's like a sustainable one. There's an international one. Um, like, do I just go by like the history or do you think it's better to just stay with like the one they recommend, which I think is just, they call it like the diversified. Yeah. Um, it's always good to rule of thumb. You always want to look at rate of returns. That's something that's, um, you know, a cheat code whenever you look at investments, especially like 401k or any type of retirement plan investments. Um, usually like they'll, they'll give you, um, a sheet. And it'll have like, you know, the different funds. So it's like the stable fund, the growth fund, the international mm -hmm. fund. And then they'll have like the um, year to date return, uh, three year return, five year return, 10 year return since its inception. What I like to do is look at the longest possible time frame. So like 10 years or since its inception, sometimes if it's new, um, it might not have a 10 year track record. It might have like a five year or four year track record. But yeah, I try to look at the long, the longest possible time frame. And see which one has usually performed best <clears throat> for that. Um, usually, like I haven't really been a big fan on, on international funds. Just me personally, especially like in retirement accounts. Over the last like ten years, they haven't really mm -hmm. done as good as like just international growth growth funds. So it really just depends on your, on your risk tolerance. But you know, the growth growth funds is always going to be something that's going to usually, you know, be the best as far as growth over the course of time. Um, 
that's like, you know, more large cap companies. And, but the good thing, and I don't know if they changed it, but I know um, a few years ago for the fixed account for the city, how much is the fixed account paying? Like 7% or something like that? It's, it's 7.25. When I started, it was 8.5 or 8.25, but then they lowered it to 7.25. So I was able to get the 8%, like the first two or three years I started teaching, but now it's 7.25. And like, I have 10, about 10 more years left. So I have um, like 20 years already and I have 10 more to go, but, um, the, the sustainable index gives a greater return, but it's very new. So it's only like a few years old. So I'm like, is this, should I trust that? And then they also say to like switch it right before you're about to retire to just be in the um, fixed one. So you don't have to worry about like big issues with the market. Yeah. Well, the good thing with that is that that's pretty much I heard of to have a fixed account that earns 7%. Um, so that is one thing that, you know, the New York City uh, school department, that's like really like kind of amazing that they have a fixed account, which is like pretty much, you know, no matter what the stock market does, you can earn 7%. So usually a fixed account in this environment is like 1% or less than 1%. So 7% on a fixed account is extremely, extremely good. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't take it all out of there. Definitely would probably leave some money in there just for the safety purposes of it. Like, you know, if, if all, if all else fails, if the stock market crashes, you're guaranteed to get 7%. That's not bad. Obviously, you know, that's not as good as if the stock market goes crazy and you get 30% or 20%, but you know, it's all about diversification. So I would diversify, but I would leave at, at least, at least like probably 25% in a fixed account. Cause that's just like a guarantee insurance almost. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Sadalia. All right. Dwight, we're coming to you. Unmute yourself, please. Dwight, you're unmuted. You should be able to speak. All right. Looks like he's having difficulties. So. Sometimes you got to, on the, on the Zoom too, you got to make sure you unmuted on your end too. Like we can unmute you, but make sure you unmuted on your end so we could. Um... Yeah. He had unmuted himself, but he wasn't speaking. All right, Dwight, we're going to go to the next person. Natasha, unmute yourself, please. Hello. Um, I have a question about a trust. Who do I go to to start a trust? A trust. Where, where do you live? In Maryland. Um, well, I know. So the lawyers that we use, you know, the thing with the lawyers that is different, like MG, he could practice in almost any state for the for the mortgages. But lawyers, they have to they have to be licensed in this state. So I know we've used Sabina a lot. Um, I know she's licensed in New York and New Jersey. I don't know if she's licensed in Maryland. Um, but I think that we 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 had somebody that was licensed in Maryland because I remember I got that question before from somebody from Maryland. But if not, we can definitely you know look. I don't want to give you an answer right now because I don't know off the top of my head, but. Maybe we could put it in a Facebook group after we, you know, do some research and, and find some good attorneys. Maybe Magna, maybe that's something that we can just do, period. Like, you know, we can try to like, you know, highlight some different professionals in different areas of the country, especially the law thing, because that's something that, you know, you depending on what state you live in, you got to really use the lawyer that's that's practicing in your state. And that could become a little tricky if you live in states that, you know, we haven't really featured lawyers in that state. So, okay. Yeah, the legal club. We have a legal club actually. So maybe that's something that the legal club can um can 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 do. And one more quick question. I remember you were saying it, I can I think it was 13 or 14, you should put six thousand in a um IRA for your child. Is that in it it could be an estimate? I think y'all was saying um one million. Is that six thousand for when she's fourteen or six thousand every year will equate to the estimate? Yeah, so what I did. When I thought I was on a breakfast club when I was I said that a while ago. Um, I, I was using an example like if you put six thousand a year in from I believe it was like the example that I gave was like from fourteen to twenty. I believe like from fourteen to twenty, and I just used a hypothetical 
like if it earned 10%, I use like QQQ, which, you know, is averaged more than 10% over the last 20 years. But I'm like, all right, if, if you earn like 10% a year, um, by the time they're 60, then they will have a million dollars. So obviously, you know, it, it, it's it's not like a 100% guarantee because it depends on the market. But that was an example that I had gave just to kind of illustrate the power of investing early. But if you think about it, even if it's not 6,000, whatever you can do, but that's only like four years or, you know, six years of investing. Um, and you know, just by the compounding interest and leaving it in for such a long period of time, then that equals a million dollars without even having to put any more money in after the age of 20. So, you know, that was just an example of, um, you know, the power of compounding interest. And you definitely, and I think the example that I actually gave was with the Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA is even better for kids because um, they don't pay any, any taxes on it when they take the money out. So now you set up their you set up their retirement account when they're young, and um, you know by the time they get they get to retirement, they're gonna have they're gonna have you know a tremendous amount of money just by the money that was set up for them you know while they were teenagers, um, and that has nothing to do with you know their own four hundred one ks or their own IRAs when they get old enough to actually set it up for themselves. So that's definitely a strategy that parents can use for their children. Um, Whenever they they turn um, legal working age, and uh, the rule is you could put up you could put up to well, 6,000 is the max, but you can put up to whatever the child made. So like if they have a part-time job and let's say they made like $3,000 for the year, um, then you can put up to, you know, $3,000, but it's not unreasonable to, to have $6,000 because it's like, if they work at like CVS or something like that, you know, they make $500 a month, that's um $6,000 a year. So you know, $500 a month, that's not really a lot for a part-time job. So, you know, that, and then if you're self-employed, it's even better um, because if you're self-employed and you can hire your child and you can pay them. And when you pay them, uh, you get a tax deduction for the money that you paid them. And then that money you can put into the Roth IRA or an IRA for your child. So that's like a double-edged sword because now you're actually saving money on taxes and your child is working for you. Um, and you get to save money for their retirement. So a lot of different things that you can do with that. But yeah, that's some different ideas for sure. So as far as the investment side, yeah, the dollar cost average, I think you had talked about that. That's a great way to start. If you, you know, it sounds like you started some with the retirement with the Roth, but um, I don't know if you have a brokerage account, but if you don't open a brokerage account, a non-retirement brokerage account, so that's money that is not tied to your retirement. You can invest in that every single month. You spoke about um, Lawrence's class, so I'm assuming that you've been you've been tapped in with that. So that's great as far as you know, talk about investing, and then of course we talk about investing every Monday with Market Monday. So you know we talk about the ETFs, the index funds, all that stuff. So you can pick a couple of stocks, funds that you feel comfortable with, and start putting money in every single month. That's one way to just get the ball rolling, and um, you know get into the actual investment game where you're putting money away over a consistent period of time. Now, as far as the pilot situation, obviously from what you, you're saying, that's a little bit more capital, a lot more capital intensive. So um, I, it probably would be difficult to to self-raise or self-fund that type of project. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm real big on collaboration. That's something that you know we've practiced and we still do to this day is collaborate with different people. Um, and I just personally feel like you know you can do a lot more together than you can separate. And even if that means you know working with other people for equity, like in giving up equity, like there's nothing wrong with giving up equity. Like we we have given up equity, and and our third partner Mike, he's a he's a childhood friend of ours. But when we brought him on, we didn't have enough money to actually pay him, so we gave him a part of the company. Now he's our business partner. So I think giving up ownership. Giving up a portion of equity and giving up ownership are two different things. Giving up some equity 
can be a smart move if somebody can add value. That's why you give up equity. If you don't have necessarily have the resources and you need to bring somebody on now, they can provide their talent, their relationships, you know, whatever they can bring to the table. And they're not working for money because now they are part of owner in the company. So the company's success is tied to their success. So it's in their best interest for that company to be successful because the more money that the company makes, the more money that they make, as opposed to just hiring an employee. And, you know, if it's a good employee, then, you know, they'll work as hard just because, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. But obviously, you know, there's a lot of employees that don't care because, you know, it doesn't matter how well the company does or you know, they're still going to get paid the same amount. So that's why the, the equity play is not always a bad play. Partnerships are not always bad. Um, it's just a matter of just being intelligent about it, keeping ownership, keeping, you know, a majority state, things of that nature. So I would approach it from that standpoint. I would approach it from partnerships. Look to see, you say you've been in the industry for a long time. So I'm sure you have a lot of great relationships with different people. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows who would want to work with you or who would want to partner with you and, and different things of that, of that nature. So, that's how I would approach it as opposed to even thinking about funding it out of my own pocket with that much capital. If it was less capital, but if it's a lot, if it's going to be real, real capital intensive, then, you know, you might want to go a, a different route. Okay. That's good though. That's uh, the partnership is definitely something that's been out there. It's just, again, really holding in or owning in on the, um or honing in on the ownership piece. We definitely want to be attaching. I'm pretty sure you can tell, like sometimes people don't take you seriously but like I said, even with having the um, experience, it's like that. But that was some good insight. Thank you so much. Not no problem. All right. P-Math, we're coming to you. Unmute yourself, please. What's going on? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, hey, I just wanted to ask a um, quick question. I'm sure it's been asked many times. It's about 401k rollover. Uh, my specific question is, I have like three 401ks from previous um, employers. Um, I'm going to roll like one of the bigger ones into a new one that I'm participating, that the employer is participating in. Um, but then the two smaller ones, I want to be able to uh, like invest myself. Um, so just kind of to sum it up, I have, uh, I, I had it with Fidelity. I'm going to transfer the, uh, the ledger amount into a company named The Principal. And I've always uh, traded with TD. I had a, a brokerage account with, excuse me, with Fidelity. Um, but I'm I'm transferring. I transferred those funds into TD because uh, just what I've heard is that it's 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 more user friendly things of that nature. Um, now my question is with the other two smaller ones that I'm not going to transfer into the the, uh, the the account that with that's with my um, employer. Um, I want to have a little bit of uh, flexibility to 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 move those around. Um, so I didn't know if I should just keep the funds with Fidelity. Um, and have a separate IRA there or transfer it into TD where I have my brokerage account. Um, that way, um, you know, I'm, I guess I guess I'm a little confused on what's the benefits of having it, having an IRA um, with a different company because the, the, I'm not going to put it with the, um, you know, I'm not trying, I'm trying not to roll everything into my, um, my 401k. I'm trying to make sure that I have some flexibility to, to, to move it around, um, you know, as I feel fit. So yeah, I, yeah, your current 401ks with Fidelity and you, you're debating whether you should roll into an IRA with Fidelity or IRA with TD. Is that the question? Um, so it, it's actually with a different, so my current 401k, um, I'm transferring. Well, your old, your old, your old 401ks. Yeah, the old one side. The old one was with Fidelity. Um, so I'm, I'm transferring the old ones to a, a, one of the old ones, the larger amount 
to one that my um, employer is participating in. That's called the principal. So I'm already just that's that's kind of just out 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 there. I'm, I'm gonna just put the bigger one into the one that they're contributing to. But the two smaller ones that I have with Fidelity, I was gonna. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out if it makes sense to transfer it over to TD since I'm kind of. Um, that's where my brokerage account is, my individual brokerage account. That way I could kind of line things up. That's that's what I'm thinking. Or I, or I don't even know if there's any benefit of just having it um, transferring, taking that 401k and turning it into a, uh, RA, a IRA with uh, with Fidelity and just keeping it where it is. Yeah, I think it just depends on what the, whichever one you feel comfortable with, right? Like, I mean, um, Fidelity, TD, they're both good companies. They're both, you know, very similar. Um, now, right. I personally like TD a little bit. I have both. I have Fidelity and TD. TD. I like TD a little better because it just has a better user interface, in my opinion. But right. I mean, it's not like one is dramatically better than the other. So I guess it's just whatever you feel comfortable with. But you can roll it over into a Fidelity IRA and, you know, have, you know, control over it and, you know, pick the investments that you want. Or you can roll it over into a TD IRA and have control over and pick the investments that you want. So it, it really just depends. Honestly, I mean, that's, that's just up to you. Like whatever, whichever one you feel more, most comfortable with. Um, like I said, me personally, I just like TD. I like TD better than Fidelity because I just feel like it has a better user interface. And, um, yeah. So yeah, that's, I got you on my, that. that's my personal opinion. So, you know, but you can, you can do either or, I mean, there's really no, no dramatic difference well, from, from right. one than the other, you know, similar. Okay. All right. And just the last thing on, on that, on that, um, no matter where I go to transfer it, changing that 401k into an IRA, what's really the benefits of the IRA? Um, when I'm, 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 am I able to move things around as I feel like, cause I know I can't do that with the 401k. So I'm assuming that's just the, the only benefit is the flexibility, right? Well, a 401k is pretty much like frozen in a sense when you're not working anymore, not frozen where it's not growing. But well, when you when you leave a job, you can't add money to your 401k anymore. You can't borrow from right. it. You don't have any like advice um, and you're stuck with the investments that's provided for you from the 401k. So a 401k has like a menu of different options. Like they have like, let's say 15 different funds that you can pick and choose from, but you can only invest in those funds. So with an IRA, um, you get to pick and choose the funds that you, that you want. Right. Um, you right. can add, you can add money to it. So like, let's say going forward, like you start a business or your job doesn't have a 401k, your new job doesn't have a 401k, or you can always add money to an IRA. An IRA also can serve as like a central hub where, you know, you might leave multiple different jobs throughout the course of your life. And you might have like six different 401ks that, that becomes a little difficult to manage, but you can always roll those 401ks into an IRA and have that as like the central hub for all of your old 401ks. So gotcha, I mean, gotcha. in, a, in a nutshell, it just gives you more flexibility, um, gives you more flexibility as far as, you know, being able to pick and choose your investments um, and, you know, actually being able to put money into it as well. So those you don't have once you leave the company um, with an old 401k. So that's really the benefit with the IRA as opposed to keeping the money in the old 401k. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it, man. All right. Andrew, we're coming to you and yourself, please. And somebody said in the chat, you can't access the, you can, you can access the IRA. You just pay penalty on it. Just like a, a 401k. Um, if you had like an old 401k and you took the money out before 59 and a half, you, um, you pay a penalty on it, but there is there are some provisions where you can actually take some money out of without paying the, the penalty tax, but you always pay state and federal tax on an IRA or a 401k. So they're both the same in, in, in that regard. 